Amen. Thank you, guys. How are we doing this evening? Doing all right? Amen. Amen. Lord, we do thank you for your presence today. Lord, as we open up your word, I pray that you would not just give us a nugget tonight. But Lord, I pray that you will touch us in a way that, that we are transformed again. I thank you, Lord, that your word never comes up empty. So, Lord, we claim your promise. You told us that when we dive into your word, there's a washing and renewing of our minds. So, Lord, would you do that again tonight? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take your Bible and turn with me to Isaiah. We'll be in chapter 9 this evening. As we are in full swing of this Advent season, the second Sunday in Advent, I want to talk about Advent as a whole over the next three times that I'll be with you. Uh, And that's not all going to be tonight. But we're going to weave together some time tonight and uh, in a couple Sunday mornings and then in the Sunday evening on the 21st about what this could really mean for us, not just in general, but specifically this year. I don't know if you've heard the old preacher story that goes something like this. There's a mom who has a young five-year-old, and they're out to do some Christmas shopping on the 23rd of December to get the best deals just in time for Christmas morning. She takes her five-year-old, and they go into the department stores, and they're rushing through, and this little five-year-old is less than excited to be shopping with mom. He's fussing. He's whining. He's complaining. And she does everything she can to get him in the Christmas spirit. She says, don't you hear all these Christmas carols? We're supposed to be happy now. Now straighten up and let's go shopping. And he would whine and he would complain and she would threaten again. And she would say, you know, Santa doesn't bring gifts to crybabies. Now straighten up. Let's, let's go shopping. And he was less than excited and continued to fuss and whine. And she looked down and she saw his shoe was untied. And she thought, well, maybe this was adding to the problem. And so she kneeled down to tie this five-year-old's shoe, and for the first time, she sees the scenery that he sees. None of the advertisements or lights or decorations are hung at a five-year-old level. All of the sales signs and extravaganza of the day are placed at levels for adults to see, and she looks and sees through the eyes of her son this busyness of these tall legs with feet like skateboards rushing around with big rear ends in his face and they are just going back and forth and he is not seeing what she sees. In the midst of all of what she thought should be celebration, his perspective was less than excited. As I was reflecting on that old preacher story, it's one of those stories, I have no idea if it's even true, but it just sounds good, doesn't it? I I was thinking about those concepts and Whether that was a a real story or not, it's one that we can identify with in the perspective that we see at Christmas time. We can see all the rush and the things that we jam-pack in the month of December. As Pastor Katrina talked about this morning, we can look at different seasons of life and how there is tough things, but there is hope to be given to us at Christmas in these hope that these hope that's brought to us is in the form of lights and i want to look at the light that the prophets bring to us everybody talks about peace on earth and joy to the world but are we really experiencing 
peace on earth in joy that we would proclaim to the whole world, look at the joy that I have. I'm not asking you, do you believe in Christmas? I'm not asking you, do you want God to be Lord in your life? I think there would be a unanimous yes, yes to both of those. But the question is, are you experiencing peace? Are you experiencing the joy of the Lord to where you would proclaim it to all around? I believe if we have a different vantage point tonight, God wants to put some hope into our hearts. I want to invite you to not only join in with me tonight as we look at Isaiah, but take the next number of weeks. There's lots of exciting things taking place. As I ran through the litany of announcements this morning, I thought, that's a pretty good lineup. We've got Christmas parties, we've got Christmas dinners, we've got Christmas concerts and programs, and we've got family things, and I don't know what your traditions are, but mine are stacking up of what's ahead, and it's good stuff. But if we could take the next number of weeks and say, God, is there fresh hope that you have for me? And maybe tonight, God wants to peel back the curtain at what He wants to do in our life, specifically this Christmas. That's what Advent is all about. If you're taking notes, jot this down. Advent means the coming of Christ. It's not something that's, that's new to us, but it's an important reminder to us that in this season, it's this anticipation of the coming of Christ, this Emmanuel, God, who is with us. Advent is more than just remembering a baby boy who was born 2,000 years ago. Advent means proclaiming God's great redemptive process to reconcile us to himself through Christ. Nothing gives us a better sense of perspective to see beyond what our own height limitations bring than to look at the prophecies that God has given to us. A prophecy means a prediction of something to come. Now there's different aspects and takes on this gift of prophecy, and I'm not going to go into that tonight, but for, for this teaching, for this talk, we're looking at a traditional or mainstream idea of what it means to hear a prophecy, a prediction of something that is yet to come. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born, God revealed through the prophets specific details about Christ's coming to earth. In fact, in the Old Testament, there are 31 prophecies concerning the coming of Christ. Throughout history, God periodically gives us insights into the future to keep our hope alive, to keep us encouraged. God's timing is perfect. He gives us just enough hope to keep us going, to give us strength. It's for His glory. It's to mold and shape us into the men and women that he's called us to be. So let's take a couple moments and look briefly at the prophetic windows into Christ's coming in Isaiah chapter 9. As you turn to Isaiah 9, let me highlight some things about God's prophets. Because they're always looking ahead, they seem to be out of touch at times with their culture. Someone has astutely observed Prophets are tomorrow's thinkers in a world of yesterday dwellers. I, I think of these prophets and their message that was so right on and, and how could it have not been received by those around them. They were proclaiming of what was to come in a world of people who were so fixated on what had already taken place. They seem to always be out of sync with the rank and the file of their day. When things appear to be going smoothly, they have a warning that they shout at the top of their lungs. When things appear to be 
going horribly wrong. They give a message of hope, and that's what we find in this passage. The prophet Isaiah is no exception. He lived during a period when Israel was a divided kingdom. It was a time of great anxiety, and there was a time of insecurity about their own security as a nation. Threats to their nation were huge. Doesn't seem all that different from the news cycles that we're accustomed to hearing over the last number of years. Hostile enemies were continually threatening to attack them, but when everyone else was lamenting how bad things had gotten, Isaiah had an incredible insight that he wanted to share. It was a word of hope, a word that gave deliverance, a promise of deliverance for his people. It was the promise of the coming Messiah. God's sign first comes to Israel in Isaiah chapter 7. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will, and, and will call his name Emmanuel. But yet they were so perplexed with all the trouble that was going on in their culture around them that they missed it. And so God comes back a second time through Isaiah. And I'm so thankful that we have a God who speaks to us until we hear. And that's where we find Isaiah chapter 9. I'll be reading verse 2 through 6. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation, increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of the Midian feast, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, every warrior's boot used to battle, and every garment rolled in blood will be fuel for this fire, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Some of us may have mistakenly thought that these were lyrics from just a song. But it's from Isaiah's promise. It goes on and it says, And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. There's no more truth than what is rooted here that I believe could impact us so deeply tonight. But let's focus just on one of these verses. The first is this of Christ's light into our life. Christ's prophetic gift demonstrates His love for us. Notice that Isaiah says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. In other words, put your name in that Now, how many have ever attended a production of Handel's Messiah? Let me see. How many have never attended a production of Handel's Messiah? Okay. You surprised me. Very good. This is that, for unto us a child is born. That one. It's the one that we've heard, and people dress up in fancy clothes, and they they work long and hard, and, and sometimes we can miss... The great message in the midst of this song. It's the first thought I want us to catch, but I'll never forget the most memorable time of me missing that message. In college, sometimes we take things for granted, and I was in Orpheus Choir, and one of the traditions in that college choir was to be a strong part of the chorus for Handel's Messiah that they would put on. 
And so I was roped into doing this. I was less than excited. And I thought there was nothing better to keep my boredom at bay than to slip in some kind of video game device during Handel's Messiah. Now, Dr. Dunbar and the rest of the uh, leaders in the music department had no idea of what was taking place. My wife was a soloist at the time, and so I wasn't going to share anything with anybody of what I thought would be a good idea. This was a long performance. I don't know how anybody would sit through it and and just take it in, let alone help to sing these things. And so I thought I I would bring this there. And I had what was, you know, in the 90s, the Game Boy thing that, like, had one game at a time. It's not like a phone where you can have all these options. There's no Internet. It was just, you know, A, B, up, up, down, down, right, right, left, left, all that kind of stuff. And I'm there in, in the middle of this Handel's Messiah, and I'm playing this game thinking I have the sound turned off, and then... To my horror, I score some really good points in Tetris. And the music begins to go off, and Dr. Dunbar, the director, looks up, catches my eye, and sees what I have. Dr. Dunbar and I have not spoken of this incident since that has taken place. It's one of those things that I know that he was quite ashamed of what had taken place. I had missed the whole moment. Now, as I share that story, your respect for the culture of your pastor goes way down. How could he ever have done such a dumb thing? I'm just being confessional that I was not really into hearing the song. I had been around it. I had practiced it. I have sung it. I I, I guess I was ready to sing it, but I wasn't in the mood to sing it. I showed up, but I've got to stay entertained. I share that ignorant story from the standpoint that's the best thing that I can reach for that describes what I think we face sometimes in the church community. When we hear a verse like this, for unto us a child is born, a child is given to us, I've heard it, I I could say it, I know it's Advent, I could have predicted you would have talked about one of these three or four things tonight, but could you just help me keep my attention? And friend, I don't share that to scold you. I share that to say, I've been in the place of fighting boredom, but but there's nothing better than to put away the distraction and just to lock ears and eyes with what is taking place. And I believe God wants to do something in your life this Christmas with this verse. In other words, put your name in this verse. For a child is born to you, Sally. You see, God's gift of Jesus and Christ's prophetic gift demonstrates his great love for you. It doesn't have to be something that we miss. It doesn't have to be something that we question. It's a fact that God has given his son because he is head over heels in love with you. This Christmas, more than anything else, he wants you to know how much he loves you. No matter how oppressive your circumstances become, no no matter how much you begin to doubt God's love for you, it doesn't change the fact that He is here to say, I love you, my son, my daughter. He gave you the very best that He had in His Son. And when you recognize His gift that was given to you, His heart that was opened up to you, I've heard it before, it's kind of boring, When, when you set aside the distraction, you can get taken up in something that was amazing. That silly story I told you about the taking the video game to Handel's Messiah had a, a deeper point. When Dr. Dunbar caught my eye, and I could tell that I was 
in, in real big trouble. By the way, I was not in Orpheus Choir that next year. I'm not quite sure what happened. Something took place. I put that aside, and I was able to hear and lock in on Carrie, who was singing. It was one of the first times that I began to say, hey, that's somebody I think I want to be with for a long time. I not only heard the message differently, I saw the things that were around differently, and it began to bring a change into my life of who I was meeting, and far greater than meeting a significant other uh, who would be a spouse. God wants to give you meaning tonight when you hear me say, God loves you. We tell the kids at VBS, Jesus loves you. We have them sing the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But when's the last time you were able to look in the mirror and say, my God loves me so much that he gave his son for me. His prophetic gift demonstrates his love for us. And Advent means that I am loved by God. I'm not through, but if we were done, that's enough right there to chew on for the next couple of weeks. But the greatest need in your life to know that God loves you is also followed up by His prophetic rule and how it demonstrates His authority. His prophetic rule demonstrates His authority. And if if you need that blank that's up there, it's Advent means that I am loved by God, if you want to put that in. But then the next one down is his prophetic rule demonstrates his authority. Isaiah goes on to tell us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. What does that mean to us? Look at verse 4. For as in the day of the Midian defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. God chose a reluctant warrior named Gideon and a small band of 300 warriors to defeat an entire army of tens of thousands. You can read about this in Judges chapter 7. Isaiah says in the same way, Jesus Christ, the coming Messiah, will destroy every rule and authority that is set up against the kingdom of his rule. What does that mean for us? Not only does it mean that regardless of what political party is in charge of the White House, regardless of what politics are going on at your place of work, regardless of what is happening in your community or in your extended family, God is in charge. His authority is supreme. It means that every Christmas carol that is sung, whether it is sung unto the Lord or not, the truth that is ringing out across department stores across our city is no less true that God is in authority. In this Advent time, in this awaiting the arrival of Christ, Advent means that I can rest in God. He is in charge. He has authority in my life in the dark night of your soul when like Gideon you feel overwhelmed and fearful and defeated God reminds you that Jesus has everything under control he can handle it and when you place your life under his authority you can also share in his victory his prophetic gift demonstrates his love his prophetic rule demonstrates his authority and his prophetic nature demonstrates his sufficiency Isaiah reminded us of who he is. These are his royal titles. Jot some of them down. Wonderful Counselor. In other words, Jesus understands what you and I are going through. The Bible often refers to Christ, the Messiah, as our Counselor. Our defense, our 
representative, the one who pleads our case. What makes him such a wonderful counselor is that he empathizes with us. He's not a stranger to us. He knows everything that's going on and he can empathize. And also, he's available whenever we need him. And he has taken on your case pro bono and he has paid the price. He's gone beyond just working on your behalf. He has paid the price for you. He is the best representative and counselor. This is his title. This is who he is. This is who he wants to be again in your life. Mighty God. What this means is that Jesus can handle what I'm going through. Not only does Jesus understand what I'm going through, but he can handle what I'm going through. How do you picture a mighty God? Our minds are too puny to comprehend the awesome majesty of the one who is all-powerful. Especially during times of discouragement and doubt and grief and even depression. When life isn't going well, we feel that we are distant from God, but He is no less God. He is no less amazing just because our vantage point is different. We need to cling to the title, He is the mighty God. Jesus can handle what it is we are facing. For example, Satan wants you to think that Satan is almost, not quite, but almost as powerful as is God. But the truth is, Satan has been defeated. He's a defeated foe. Jesus Christ dealt with this, and he conquered sin, death, and the grave, and Satan was conquered once and for all when Jesus raised from the dead. Satan knows his future and what is to come, and he would like nothing more than to get you to think that he has some kind of hold on your life. But in this coming of Jesus, in this Emmanuel who is God with us, this way that has been opened up for us, there is a freedom there. That this lie from Satan would tell you that the chains that want to cling to you still have some hold on you. But you can say, in the name of Jesus, they have no place with me. Jesus can handle what you and I are going through. Also, we see the title of Everlasting Father. I need to remind myself that Jesus supports me in what I'm going through. He understands what I'm going through. He can handle what I'm going through. But He also supports me in what I'm going through. Now, now get this. There's no confusion here on the Trinity. Jesus, referred to as the everlasting Father, it's in the sense that He is a provider, is provider, a shepherd for His people. In the same way that that a good father cares and provides for his family, so Jesus Christ cares and provides for his people. Not from time to time, but for all eternity. He is an everlasting, good and perfect father. Could you imagine with me for a moment someone in your life who would love you unconditionally, Someone who has earned the right because they have walked with you for many, many, many years. Someone who has stuck with you through thick and thin. Someone who told you what you needed to hear, not just what you want to hear. Someone who is there when you fall and is there to pick you up. If there's a face or a name that fills in that blank, my hunch is it's somebody that you love, that you have respect for. If you're having a hard time thinking of a name or a face that fits that category for your life, my hunch is you wish you would have had someone like that. Jesus, 
in this everlasting Father is the one who supports, who provides, who is there for you and wants to be with you every step of the way. This Christmas, over the next number of weeks, take time to chew on this truth. It's not just a song lyric. It's not just a talk on a Sunday night. This is the very Word of God, the prophetic Word given before Jesus was even born to give hope to the people who needed hope. I don't know that we are in the same category as the first hearers of this Word. But I believe our kingdom around us is just as divided. I believe our attention span is just as fickle and bored, I believe our accepting of distractions and diversions is just as high as it has ever been. The everlasting Father wants to grab you by your cheeks and have you gaze into His eyes and say, I love you. I can handle what you're going through. I will support you. Finally, the Prince of Peace. I need to remember that Jesus assures me about what I'm going through. He not only understands, He not only can handle, He not only supports me, but He can assure me in what I'm going through. Jesus is a source of peace when it feels like all hell is breaking loose around you. Be very careful with popular teaching or theology that will talk about how every Christian who loves God just needs to throw up one Hail Mary prayer and any tribulation they're facing will be gone. No, don't misunderstand me. We are to cry out for help. We are to pray for God's move in our life. I don't know why, but from time to time, God chooses to lead us through the fire instead of take us out of the fire. The only answer I have is that He is God and I am not, but I know that His end goal for our good is greater than my comfort as I move through. And so, from time to time, He wants to show us that He is the Prince of Peace, and I can't really understand how much He is the Prince of Peace unless there is turmoil in my life. Until there's some kind of disruption or some kind of uh, turbulent waters, you don't know what the steadying hand of your Prince of Peace in Jesus Christ can do for you. Whatever your situation is today, Isaiah's message is profitable for us. It's the right time for us. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light that will shine on all who live in the land where death casts its shadow. For a child is born to us, a son is given, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In our final few moments together tonight, I don't know if you've got a spiritual Game Boy pulled out. You're just biding time because you've heard this. I don't know if there is confusion in your life. I don't know if you feel discouraged or defeated. I don't know if you feel alone or worried. I don't know if you feel complacent. I don't know if you feel victorious. You may be bursting with anticipation. 
You made me stalled at nostalgia. No matter where you find yourself tonight, I believe that God wants to breathe on this passage in a very personal way for you and for me. As I do each time before I share with you, I spend as much time as I possibly can praying over what it is I believe God has put on my heart. And before I give that declaration to you, I've been saying, God, I want to know what you want to do in Brady's heart with this passage. This Prince of Peace has resonated in my heart, in my ears tonight. How quickly I want to let any discomfort flee. I'm the first in line for Advil, Aleve, Excedrin, Tylenol, or all of the above, if it can get rid of anything of discomfort. And I'm not saying that we should be gluttons for punishment. But could it be that this Christmas God wants to show me, and maybe you, how sustaining He can be with the peace that He brings? As we close in prayer tonight, we are so on time. You're worried about time. Oh, we are so on time. Unbelievably on time. Pastor Edgar has kept us so on time. Even in my attempts to get us out of time, we're still on time. But I share that with you. Don't let your mind wander to what you're doing next yet. But I want us to take just a few moments to be still. To know that He is your God. I'm going to lead us in a prayer time. My real desire is not that you listen to me. My desire is that you would allow me to point you in the direction to where you quickly tune me out and just talk to your Jesus who the prophecies, 31 of them, declared of his coming from the Old Testament. Many, many more affirmations to come throughout the scriptures and then his life that was lived before us. The declaration that we sing about and we preach about week in and week out is what we are waiting for in this Advent season. Heavenly Father, thank you for my friends. Thank you, God, for their faithfulness, not just to Grace Point and to this gathering on Sunday night. Not just their faithfulness to each other in this body of believers. God, I believe that each person in this room loves you with their life. And Jesus, I I just pray right now that you would help us steal a couple moments to be still before you. 